Well, good morning, church family. My name is Jeffrey Samplaski. I'm the student and college pastor here at Great Hills. And what a great privilege it is for me to have the opportunity to lead our study of God's Word this morning. I do recognize that this morning is very different, um, as already has been referenced a handful of times this morning for obvious reasons. Um, but this morning when I woke up, I, I have to admit, when I woke up this morning, I had that almost immediate feeling of this is just kind of a, a unique morning. It, it just felt different, again, for obvious reasons. But immediately, God just poured into my heart this overwhelming sense of encouragement and joy and peace in the fact that there is nothing, no coronavirus, no circumstance that we face in this world that can stop the spread of the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom. And I want to make sure that we don't miss this, Great Hills. I think today is a very, very tangible reminder of that. Our God will advance His church. He will ensure that His gospel is declared among every people group in all nations. Be encouraged, my friends. So this morning, like I said, as you can tell, it's a very different Sunday in that I'm, I'm preaching right now to a room of about 10 people. And the vast majority of you have tuned in online as we've just made the very difficult decision to, um, to cancel all of our on-campus services for the next couple of weeks, really as a means of, of, of doing our part to protect the, really to prevent the, the, the quick spread of this virus that's going around. Um, but again, the, the church will go forth, the gospel will be proclaimed. Um, and I'm excited about that opportunity to study into God's Word with, with you this morning. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and go to Psalm chapter 98. Um, with that, as many of you know, Pastor Danny is away right now. Pastor Danny is in South Africa. Um, his niece got married this past Thursday in South Africa. Um, so he and Ashley flew out there to take part in that celebration. And, and the wedding happened, just an amazing celebration. And now they are planning their trip home, and they'll be making their way back home here within the next couple of days. Um, I would ask that you continue to pray for Pastor Danny and Ashley. Um, is there a way? Pray that God would just protect their health, but also pray that, um, that, that their travel plans wouldn't be held up in any way as they're making their way back home. And then with that, Pastor Danny asked that I, I just tell you that he loves you and that he's praying for you as we walk through the season that we're in right now. So with that being said, Psalm chapter 98, if you've got your Bibles with you, um, your tablet, or whatever other means that you're using this morning, let me encourage you to get there. This is an amazing passage of Scripture, um, and I'm thrilled to lead us into this passage. Um, and we're going to be talking this morning about God's faithfulness. And you may ask the question, well, well why God's faithfulness? Why are we talking about God's faithfulness this morning? Um, let me kind of give you a little bit of an answer. Really, for obvious reasons, we're going to be talking about God's faithfulness. But then there's, there's thousands of different reasons why we as the people of God should be keenly aware of God's faithfulness. But just to give you a few, a couple of things that God has just really impressed on my heart lately, is I recognize that within this church, there are a lot of people that are hurting. There's a lot of people that are walking through just circumstances within their families, just within their, the world that they live in. Um, maybe it's uh, something with a, a child. Maybe it's just a recent diagnosis or something like that. Uh, there's a lot of people that are walking through just some difficult circumstances right now. There, there's likely a lot of people that are tuning in online. Um, they don't necessarily have any affiliation with Great Hills, but they've chosen to worship with us this morning that are just walking through some real stuff. And the reality of it is, if I can just be candid, life is hard. Even as believers, even as Christians, as long as we live in this broken world, in this sinful world, we're going to suffer. The Bible tells us that that's inevitable. Um, it, life is just tough sometimes. So if that, that, that may be the reason. And you just may need to hear about God's faithfulness. Or you may be somebody that just looks out into the landscape of the world that we're living in right now. And you may just find yourself a little bit discouraged, a little bit overwhelmed. Or what's going on right now is you see this spread of the coronavirus. And you may just have a little bit of an angst as a result of that. 
You may be somebody that, 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 that maybe even is feeling a little bit of fear as a result of the virus that's spreading. Now, I need to be clear with that. The Bible tells us that as the people of God, there is nothing to fear because our hope doesn't rest in any doctor, in any medication, any good health, or any earthly other security for that matter. Our hope as believers rests squarely in the hands of the sovereign God. However, at the same time, I do recognize that there are people that are afraid. Whether it's justified or not, there are people that are afraid of the spread of this virus. And I've noticed that over the years, when, when life just gets hard, and it does for all of us, but I've noticed that over the years, when life just gets difficult, when it gets hard, we sort of have this linear view of the world that's going on around us. We, we sort of have these like blinders on, where we notice the circumstances that we're living in, and we're just overwhelmed by the circumstances that we're living in. And as a result of that, we lose sight of the fact that our God has not forfeited even an ounce of his control. So this morning, through Psalm 98, my goal is just to read and study scripture along with you and just allow you to see that whether or not you're walking through one of the circumstances that I mentioned or something else, the goal is to allow you to see that our God is faithful. As I begin to prepare this sermon, when Pastor Danny asked me to preach a couple of weeks ago in his absence, um, I begin to just pray, God, what is it that, that you have for your people on that particular morning? And one of the things that God has led me to do when I begin my sermon writing process is just to go to God sort of with open hands and say something to the effect of, God, these are your people. This is your church. What do you have for them on this particular morning? And I remember just overwhelmingly over and over and over again hearing God say, Jeffrey, tell my people about my faithfulness. Jeffrey, tell my people that I am faithful my hope and prayer is that as we study the word this morning, the spirit of God would just lift our eyes from the circumstances that are going on around us and lift our eyes up from those circumstances to King Jesus. So with that being said, church family, let me invite you to read with me. We're going to be reading all of Psalm 98. Let's, let's read. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness to the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of the melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, and the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing, sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. You are the sovereign God of the universe. You are the God that controls all things. You, you hold the waters of the earth in the hollow of your hand. You measure the mountains of the earth on scales. Scripture tells us that you measured out the earth in the span of your hand. Father, you were sovereign. You were seated on your throne. And Father, your people need to hear your voice. Father, the reality of it is there is nothing that I can say apart from you that has any power or any authority. Father, if, if, if what I have to say this morning comes from me, I'm wasting everybody's time. But Father, you have the words of life. Father, in your word, you have the authority to raise the dead to life, to encourage heart, to heal wounds, to wipe away tears. Father, that is my prayer this morning, is that your word would go forth, so much so that the people that are listening under the sound of my voice wouldn't even notice the flawed man behind the pulpit, but rather would notice the God of the universe. That's our prayer. Would you be honored? Because you alone are worthy of that in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take a look at 
Psalm 98 in the structure that it was written in. Psalm 98 is, is poetry. It was written in three different stanzas, verses one through three, verses four through six, and verses seven through nine. And what I wanna do is I wanna take a look at each one of those stanzas and just draw out truth, really highlight truth that's already revealed in this passage. My encouragement to you is that you would take these truths, that you would write them down as I give them to you, that you would write them in, in your, your notes. I know that the, the outline for this morning is on our app. If you want to punch it in there, you just want to write it in the margin of your Bible, something like that. Um, and, and just go meditate on these truths later and, and line them up with Scripture a little bit later. But the first one that I want to give you this morning is God remembers. God remembers. Notice what it says in verses one through three. It says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. I remember not too long ago when I was studying this passage, those words, he has remembered, just pierced my heart, just floored me. There's so much hope and encouragement in the fact that as believers, we worship a God that remembers. You know, there's something interesting about this. I've noticed that oftentimes as we study scripture, we have the tendency to insert ourselves as people, insert ourselves into a place that we don't belong. We, we at times study certain passages of scripture and we make ourselves the central character. When the reality of it is we are not the central character, though humanity does play a very significant role in scripture, we're not central. God is central. Ultimately, scripture is all about who God is and what God has done. But my point is, oftentimes we, we tend to do that, where we look at a passage of Scripture and we insert our own very flawed characteristics into a passage, and as a result, we misinterpret what the passage is communicating. Let, let, me, let me show you. I think we do that in this at times. Th those words, he has remembered. Sometimes we can look at a passage like that and think, well, God is saying that he has remembered. In fact, th those words are all the way through Scripture. There's multiple times in Scripture we see those words. By inserting our own flawed characteristics into this, we can read something like that, he has remembered, and ask ourselves, well, is this implying that maybe God has the ability to forget? Almost like God was in heaven upholding the universe, making sure that the universe was functioning the way that he created it to be. And as a result of just being distracted with upholding the universe, that maybe he forgot his people. That maybe he was holding up the universe and then all of a sudden it was like an epiphany. Oh yeah, my people over here. But my friend, that is not how God works. Let me show you what I mean. My wife and I got married on July 2nd, 2017. I am glad I got that date right because I'm terrible at remembering dates. Um, I used to jokingly tell my wife when we were engaged, I used to jokingly tell her that I was going to have to tattoo my wedding date on my arm so that I would remember my wedding date and I wouldn't get it wrong. I'm just not good at it. But when Hannah and I got engaged and we finally picked our wedding date, I remember thinking that I just won the jackpot in terms of uh, wedding dates. So we were married on July 2nd, but my mind automatically went to all I've got to remember is July 4th, which is Independence Day. And then I've got to back up a couple of days and land on July 2nd, and I'm golden. I thought. So inevitably, for the first two years that Hannah and I were married, anytime somebody would come up to me and ask me, Jeffrey, when's your anniversary? What's your wedding date? I would inevitably say July 3rd. And it was one of those things that the moment that I would say it, I would like feel my wife looking at me. And it was one of those that like, I didn't even have to look at her, I just knew. As soon as it came out, it was like a sixth sense, I knew that she was looking at me and then it would jog my memory. I got it wrong again, didn't I? And by the grace of God, and I believe by the grace of my wife, I've gotten better at that. But the reality of it is, I'm just a forgetful people. God does not operate that way. 
This passage is not communicating that our God has the ability to forget like he was in heaven holding up the universe and forgot his people. The reason that this passage and others like it tell us that God is remembered is because it's a reminder to a bunch of forgetful people that our God never forgets his people. That our God always keeps his promises. As the people of God, there is so much hope, there is so much encouragement in the fact that we serve a God that always remembers his people, that never forgets his promises. Something interesting about this passage that floored me as I was preparing for this morning. There's really no known occasion for this passage Meaning, there, there is a lot of beliefs as to what this particular psalm was written in celebration to. However, we don't have an ironclad idea of what it is a celebration of. Let me show you what I mean. So, there's a lot of beliefs, um, really three major beliefs, about what this particular psalm is in celebration of. So, number one, is this a celebration of when God liberated the, the people of Israel out of slavery and brought them into the promised land? Is this a celebration of that salvation? Or could this particular psalm be a celebration of the day that God brought the Israelite people out of exile um, in, later in the Old Testament? Or could this psalm be a celebration, sort of a foreshadowing celebration of the day that Jesus would come, the Messiah would come to earth to die a sinner's death on behalf of sinners, be raised from the, the dead, the grave, reign victorious over sin and death, so that people who were dead in their sins could be brought into the family of God. So which one is it? The answer is yes. The, the more that I studied this passage, the more that I was just blown away that though we don't specifically know what circumstance this passage was written in, um, I, I think that's intentional. Because a passage like this speaks into every circumstance that we walk through as followers of Jesus Christ. Our God has remembered. Let me show you what I mean. Exodus chapter 2. This passage is incredible. The people of Israel have been in captivity for 400 years. There's generations of people in Exodus chapter 2, when they're, they're in slavery in Egypt, there are generations and generations of people that don't know what freedom looks like. All they know is Egyptian slavery. Notice what it says in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry from rescue from slavery came up to God, and hearing their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Does this passage indicate that maybe God got busy with something else and forgot his people in slavery? Absolutely not. What this passage is communicating to us is that there was never a moment while the Israelite people were in Egyptian slavery that God took his eyes off of his people. Every moment of every day, he was watching his people because he never forgets his people. Now, there's something else in here that, that just floored me. And my hope is that this would offer some encouragement to you straight out of the word. There, there's a handful of words in here that brought me so much hope, so much encouragement in this world that we live in. Notice what this passage says in verse 24. In fact, I would, I would, I would encourage you to highlight this, circle it, just write these words down. And God he heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant. God saw the people and God knew. This overwhelms me. Remember who we're talking about here. This is the God that upholds the universe and it's easy for him. This is the God that spoke the universe into existence. He spoke nothingness into nothingness and nothingness obeyed him and became the universe exactly as he wanted it. That God hears our groaning. He remembers his promises. He sees his people and he knows. Let's go on. So how about the exile? In Lamentations chapter five, verse one, we see the people of Israel who are in exile. 
Um, They've been exiled from Jerusalem, driven out by Babylon as a judgment from God because of their disobedience. And Lamentations was written as a lament of the, the, the difficulties, the circumstances that the Israelite people are experiencing in exile. And notice what verse 5, 1 says, remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Again, just very difficult circumstances in the midst of this exile. And then all the way in Ezekiel chapter 16, you hear God's response to that lament. And it says, for thus saith the Lord, I will deal with you as you have done, and you, as you have despised the oath and breaking my covenant, yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Does this indicate that while the people of Israel were in exile, that God forgot his people? Absolutely not, because our God always remembers his people. He always keeps his promises. There's something that's so interesting here that, 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 that I just have to bring up. Notice that not even our disobedience changes the fact that our God is faithful. That, that floors me, that the people of Israel were disobedient to God, and yet he remained faithful. That should be so encouraging to us. So let's continue. How about the the understanding that this was written as a celebration of uh, sort of a a foreshadowing of when Jesus would come to earth? If you've got your Bibles, go to to Luke chapter 2. This passage is incredible. We're introduced to a man by the name of Simeon. Simeon was uh, in Jerusalem. His name was, or he was righteous and devout. The scripture says that he was waiting on the consolation of Israel. Plainly, the Spirit of God revealed to Simeon that he wouldn't see death until he saw the Lord's Messiah. Now, what's interesting about that passage is that there was prophecy all the way, tracing all the way back into the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 315 is the first mention that we see of the gospel in Scripture. And from that point forward, we would see prophets come and prophets go, prophets come and prophets go. And they were all pointing to the fact that there was one that was coming to liberate the people of God out of sin and death and bring them into the family of God. So generations and generations and generations of this prophecy pointing forward to someone that would come that was greater. And then all of a sudden we have that blank page that separates the Old Testament and the New Testament. That blank page represents 400 years of silence. It's a period where there was no new revelation from God. So imagine what it must have been like. Generation after generation after generation waiting for this Messiah. 400 years with no new revelation. And then all of a sudden, Luke chapter 2. And it says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. This is Jesus. And when the Spirit's And when the parents brought in this child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. God never forgets his people. He always keeps his promises. Friend, the reason that we can sing a new song that we see in this passage in Psalm 98, the reason that we can sing this new song is because God has done marvelous things. He's done it by his mighty right hand and his holy arm, which have worked salvation for him. And he did that because he remembers. Regardless of the circumstances that we may face in this world, believer, be encouraged. Our God remembers his people. So truth number two that I want to show you, coming out of verses four through six, is Christian joy is based on God's ability to be faithful, not on our circumstances. 
Let me say it again. Christian joy is based on God's ability to be faithful, not on our circumstances. So verses four through six says, make a joyful noise to the, to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of the melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, our Lord. Notice the words that are used in this passage. Make a joyful noise. Break forth into joyous song. Sing praises. These words all com compounded together give us this idea of explosive joy, like overflowing, overwhelming joy because of the one who remembers his people. Notice what Psalm 98 does not communicate. Psalm 98 does not anywhere tell us anything about the circumstances that this was written in. But yet there's joy. What this is showing us is that this kind of overwhelming, explosive joy does not come from our circumstances, but rather what it tells us is that we have this kind of joy because God remembers. And because he remembered his people, we can sing a new song, for he has done marvelous things. He provided salvation for his people with his right hand and his holy arm. I love the words that are used in Psalm 98, 1 through 3. With his right hand and his holy arm, he has worked salvation. His right hand, that, that's a reference to Jesus. The, the, the right hand of God is considered the place of ultimate authority. No one can rival that one. It's a place of ultimate, unrivaled authority. That's a reference to Jesus. We're told that when Jesus defeated sin and death, when he despised the shame of the cross, he, he went to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father in ultimate authority, complete control. What this passage is communicating to us is that the thing that we can celebrate it of is the fact that God provided salvation and he did that by way of the cross of Jesus Christ. Friend, regardless of the circumstances that we face in this crazy world that we live in, Jesus reigns. We can celebrate through life, through death, through trial, through tribulation, through good times, through bad. We can celebrate because Jesus is on his throne and he will not be shaken. Jesus is on his throne and he has not forfeited even an ounce of control. For that we can celebrate despite the circumstances. Let's go on. Truth number three out of verses six through nine. God is faithful to make our future hope a present reality. Notice what the passage says, starting in verse seven. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. God is faithful to make our future hope a present reality. There, there's two parts of this that I want to press into as we get ready to close. The first one is that for the believer, these three verses should bring the utmost joy. The, the, these verses are something to be celebrated for the believer. At the same time, the other part of that is these verses are a source of dread for the unbeliever. Let me start with the first and explain. This passage communicates to us that Jesus is coming back. And he is not coming back when he comes to consummate his kingdom. Scripture says that he came once to purchase our salvation, to, to, to usher in his kingdom. But he's coming back at a time that only the Father knows. And when he comes back, he's not coming back as a baby in a manger or a man on a cross, but he's coming back as a conquering king. And when he comes back, he's coming back to judge all who have ever walked the earth. For the believer, that's amazing news. That is something to be celebrated. Because for the believer, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. Let me explain that to you. Scripture tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. In other words, we are all sinfully lost, hopeless people. Our sin doesn't mean that we just have bad check marks in our life. Our sin means that we are dead people in the eyes of God and therefore de deserving of infinite punishment. 
However, when Jesus came to earth, Jesus came as the God-man, fully God and fully man, without sin. He lived among sinful people. He walked with sinful people, but he himself was without sin. And scripture tells us that Jesus went to the cross on behalf of sinful people. And when he did that, our sin was laid on Jesus. All of it laid on Jesus. And he experienced the wrath of God, the just, holy wrath of God on our behalf. And he died satisfying the wrath of God. I'm so glad that passage doesn't stop there. Scripture tells us that three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin and death, reigning triumphant over sin and death. So Scripture teaches us that whoever would repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus, his righteousness would be transferred to them. It would be credited to them. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus' righteousness, and he says they're righteous. So on the day that the clouds part, and King Jesus, the ruler of the universe, who sits in the place of ultimate authority, on that day when he returns— the judgment for the believer will be righteous. On that day, believer, <laughs> on that day, believer, will be with Jesus. All of our pain will make sense. All of our suffering will be no more. Scripture tells us that every tear will be wiped away. Every wound will be healed we will be with the object of our salvation. We will be with, with Jesus. Church, can you imagine that? On that day, from, from this point forward, or in, in present circumstances rather, our faith is based on something that we have never visually seen. We believe it because it's by faith, because God said it, therefore we know it's true. But on the day that Jesus comes back, our faith will be our sight. We will look our king in the eyes. On that day, it's all going to be worth it because we're going to be with the glorious king of the universe. Friend, the single greatest way that we can have hope in this crazy world is by keeping our eyes on the world to come. Jesus is coming. Earlier this week, and I'm doing a, a Bible read-through this year, and earlier this week, I was studying through the book of Numbers, and I bumped into Numbers chapter 11. And God used Numbers chapter 11 to convict me, to pierce my heart, and then just to offer just massive joy and encouragement to me. You see, in Numbers chapter 11, the people of Israel have already been liberated out of slavery in Egypt. Now they are wandering through the desert on their way to what scripture calls the promised land, the land of Canaan. And in Numbers chapter 11, uh, you notice something really interesting beginning to happen. The people of Israel who were just previously brought out of slavery, many of which have no idea what freedom looks like, many of which have spent their entire life in slavery, are beginning to complain saying, well, God, in Egypt back there, Moses back there, we had meat to eat. At least then we had something to eat back there when we were in slavery. And as a result, they lost sight of the fact that God had provided for their needs every step of the way. And as I began to study this, I just started noticing just some amazing parallels to today. You see, I've caught myself at times just reminiscing on the good old days. Looking back on the last 10, 20, 30 years and saying something like, man, those were just good days. And at times finding myself discouraged because we're walking through a very different world than we, we walked through 10, 20, 30, 40, and so on years ago. And I remember just kind of looking back and being discouraged about where we're at today. And as I read that passage, I found myself so just convicted. And now the parallel that I don't want to draw 
And my intent is not to say 10, 20, 30 years ago was, was Egyptian slavery. No, that comparison is when we were dead in our sins, held captive to our sin, and Jesus came to liberate us out of slavery and bring us into the family of God. The parallel that I am trying to draw out of this passage is notice the people, the people of Israel, as they're looking back, they're losing sight of the fact that with each passing day, with each step, no matter how hard life gets, how difficult the circumstances are, with each step, they are one step closer to being in the promised land. Friend, do you see that parallel today? When we begin to look back, we lose sight of the fact that no matter how hard circumstances get, no matter how difficult the suffering is and the suffering will come, and the reality of it is the Bible tells us that the world that we live in, it's going to continue to corrode because of the, uh, because of the effects of sin in this world. It's just going to get harder. However, we must not look back. I don't want to go back. Because regardless of how hard this world gets, with each step, with each passing day, we are one step closer to being home. Church family, the single greatest joy that we can have in this world is by looking to the world to come. Let me, let me just say this. Believer, Jesus is coming. Keep going. When he returns, When he returns, it's going to be worth it all. Don't quit. Jesus is coming, and he hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't get, gotten distracted in heaven holding up the universe. He hasn't gotten distracted. In fact, I read earlier a, a quote by Charles Spurgeon that for some reason just popped into my head. The God of the universe cares far more about you than you do. Who do you know that's numbered the hairs on your head? Our God has not forgotten you. He is faithful to remember his people, and he is faithful to keep his promises. He's going to return. The other part of that that just overwhelms me is that like the believer, the day that Jesus comes back, and remember, he is going to, he said it, therefore, because he's faithful, he's going to deliver. For the believer, that's a time of celebration. But for the unbeliever, that, that's a source of dread. And you may hear that and say, Jeffrey, that, that, that's unloving. And, and I do hear where you're coming from. I hear the weight of what I'm saying. If you're watching online and you're feeling that, I get that. But really, the single most hateful thing that I could do is know that scripture promises that Jesus is gonna to return to judge the earth and not tell you about it. The most loving thing that I can do is that knowing that God is faithful to deliver and he has promised that he's coming back, the most loving thing that I can do for you is to tell you that he's coming. Be ready. And the reason that I say that this is a source of dread, look back at um, the three verses that we just read. Look at verse 7. Notice what this passage says. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So again, this passage is communicating to us that Jesus is coming back. And he's faithful to deliver on that because he said it, he will do it. So he's coming back to judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Friend, if you are not a believer, if you've never repented of your sin and placed your, your faith in Jesus' provision, God's provision of Jesus dying on the cross to forgive sinners, if you've never done that, please know who we're talking about. Again, this is not the baby in the manger anymore. This is not the man on the cross. This is the king who sits at the right hand of the Father. Listen to the words in this. Let the seas roar and everything that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and the hills sing for joy. 
Earlier in this passage, we saw just an overwhelming, explosive sense of joy in the believer, in in people. And now all of a sudden we see the elements, the seas roaring and everything that fills it, the world and those who dwell in. The rivers clap their hands, sing for joy. Now we see the elements, the earth surrounding us, singing praises to this God. My friend, please know who we're talking about here. The God that is coming back to judge, Jesus, who's coming back to judge, is the same God who commands the universe. This is the God that if you don't place your faith in Jesus, this is the God who will judge you. Friend, if Jesus returns, rather when Jesus returns, he will judge the earth with righteousness and his people with equity. When he returns, if you are found without Christ, you will spend an eternity separated from him in a very real and very dangerous place called hell, where you will spend an eternity being judged by the God that upholds the universe. Why is that? Because he's the righteous judge. When believers, when Jesus returns and looks at Christians, As I said a few moments ago, God will look at those Christians and say they're righteous. However, to the unbeliever, when Jesus returns, if you were found without Jesus, if his righteousness has not been transferred to you, accounted to you, the righteous judge, the just judge of the universe will look at you and say guilty. It's a terrifying reality. To the unbeliever, if you're found without Christ, this world is as good as it gets. Because one day he's going to return and you'll spend an eternity separated from him. May that not be so. The reality of it is, as long as there is still breath in your lungs, there is still time. The fact that you are still breathing if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ is an act of God's grace, but it will run out. That time will run out. Friend, it is not too late for you to come to Jesus. Scripture says that all you have to do is repent of your sin and come to Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus as Lord, the boss of your life. And Scripture guarantees, and remember, God is faithful to deliver. Scripture guarantees that you will be saved. And on that last day, when the king of the universe returns, he will look at you and say, righteous, not because of you, but because of Jesus. Friend, I want to encourage you. In fact, I want to plead with you that if you don't know Jesus, come to him. And then enjoy the hope and the encouragement of the fact that God will never take his eyes off of you. And that one day when this crazy world is over with and the skies part, the king of glory will take you to be with himself. That where he is, there you will be also. You will spend an eternity in a place where there's no more tears, there's no more suffering and pain because the old order of things has passed away and the new has come. So with that, church, I want to offer you a little bit of application in closing. Remember, God is faithful. He always keeps his promises and he always remembers his people. So knowing that God is faithful, let's get some like rubber meets the road application to this. Trusting in God's faithfulness will cause us to take risks for the kingdom. Knowing that God is faithful to return, to take his people, to be with himself, knowing that while we live on this earth, God is faithful to keep his people from slipping. Knowing that God is faithful, it will cause us to take risks for the kingdom. Trusting in God's faithfulness will cause us to sacrifice more for the spread of the kingdom. In fact, when we recognize God's faithfulness for what it is, we will see that sacrificing in the present age really is not much of a sacrifice in light of the age to come. Trusting in God's faithfulness will cause us to give more for the kingdom because we will see that our treasures are not from this world. 
Trusting in God's faithfulness will cause us to go further with the spread of the gospel because it will allow us to see that whether through life or through death, God is faithful to deliver us from the hands of our enemies. Trusting in God's faithfulness will allow us to have overflowing joy because no matter how crazy this life gets, our joy is wrapped up in who God is rather than what we face in this world. Trusting in God's faithfulness will allow us to rest because God is faithful. We don't have to vindicate ourselves. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be ashamed because our salvation rests squarely in the hands of the king of the universe. Friend, God is faithful. He always keeps his promises. He will not and has not ever forgotten his people. Let's celebrate with a new song with overwhelming joy that our God remembers his people and that he is coming back one day and he's going to consummate his kingdom. And when he does, the believer will be with him for the rest of eternity. Believer, be encouraged. But along with that, we recognize that when the word of God is taught, it always demands a response. It leads us to response. One of two ways, either when the word of God is taught, our hearts grow increasingly cold to the things of God or our hearts are just set on fire for God. Knowing that this word is powerful and effective and it always accomplishes the task in which God gave it to us to do, we do want to give you an opportunity to respond. I know that the, the setup that we have right now is a little bit different than what we're used to. That does not change the fact that God's word is powerful and effective. So if you're watching online and you just have this sense that God is working in your heart, what I want to encourage you to do is pay attention to that stirring. That could mean that as I, as I was preaching, as I was reading the word, studying the word alongside you, that maybe God revealed to you that you're this person that doesn't know Jesus. That maybe you've never placed your faith in the king of the universe. What I would encourage you to do is just talk to him. Say, God, forgive me of my sin. God, I repent of my sin. I want to follow you. I want to follow you and place my faith in Jesus. And then what I would encourage you to do is there's going to be a number listed at the bottom of your screen. Text the word, if, if that's you, text the word life to that number. And that, that's the platform that we're going to be using to follow up with you. Um, the, the, the community of the church is an amazing gift that God has given us. And we walk with each other. We help each other grow in conformity to Christ. And that's what we want to do with you. If, if God revealed to you that maybe you don't know him and you've made the decision to follow Jesus, text that word and somebody from the, the staff here at the church will follow up with you. That could also mean that maybe there's just an area of your life where you're just hurting. You're just having a hard time and you need somebody to walk through life with you. What I would encourage you to do is, is take that same number and text the word prayer to it. There's a field in there where you can type in your, your information, but then also your specific prayer request and send it to the church. And if you do that, we will absolutely be in prayer for you, but that'll also give us um, access to be able to connect with you, to just minister to you and to walk with you. There's a whole host of different things that um, God could lead you to do through the preaching of his word. And I would just encourage you to, to respond as God leads you to. With that being said, I want to take the opportunity to call us to a time of prayer in closing. Um, our president has, has declared today is the national day of prayer. We believe that, that prayer is the thing that moves the hand of God. So we are going to, as the body of Christ, go to the Lord, the sovereign God of the universe in prayer and ask God to stop the spread of this virus. But more than that, we're gonna pray and ask God in, in closing of this time, we're gonna ask God to just sustain his people in the midst of the circumstances. So if you'll join me, even at home, uh, parents, I would encourage you to gather with your children and let's just spend time just at the feet of our God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the day. Father, I, sometimes I know I've seen it in my own heart. Sometimes saying thank you is hard because sometimes the circumstances that we face in life are just overwhelming. 
They're just hard. Father, most recently we've got this coronavirus that, that, that's spreading. And Father, those circumstances, sometimes it can be hard to say thank you. But God, as believers, we can. Because regardless of what happens in this world, you are faithful. You're keeping your eyes at all times on your people. You have never forfeited even an ounce of control. So no matter what happens, we can be thankful to the God of the universe. But God, we, we approach you as the God who holds the universe in his hands. But at the same time, you are intimate to your people. You hear our cries. In fact, scripture tells us that you love our prayers so much that you store them in jars. So Father, because you have given us access to yourself through Jesus, we come to you in prayer. Father, this virus that's spreading right now didn't catch you off guard. It's not like you were in heaven and you got distracted and this virus snuck in behind your back. But Father, everything that happens in this world has to pass through your hands before it comes into fruition. Therefore, you are in total and complete control of the virus now. You were in control of it when it started, and you will be in control of the way this thing ends. So Father, we come to you and just ask the sovereign God of the universe that you would stop the spread of this virus. Father, you spoke the universe into existence. All you have to do is will it, and this virus will disappear. So God, I pray that you would do that. Father, I pray that nobody else would get sick. Father, those that are sick, I pray that you would restore them to health. Father, I pray that you would, uh, Father, that you would end this thing as quickly as possible. But then God, along with that, you are smarter than we are. You are wiser than we are. So Father, even if this continues, Father, I pray that you would use it as an instrument in your hands to accomplish your purpose. Father, I pray that you would allow your church, your people to endure. You've already promised that you would do that. So God, I pray that in all things, we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. as the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, I pray that you would use this virus. God, I pray that you would use this to bring revival. Father, I pray that through this, hearts would be turned to Jesus. And Father, from that, I pray that you would be glorified. Father, would you do that? Turn our hearts to you. But God, I do continue to pray. God, would you stop this virus? Father, would you bless the people that are watching this morning? Father, I pray that they would be encouraged through your word. Father, I pray that you would be um, always on their lips. And God, I pray that through the church, the world would see the mighty God of the universe. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.